Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week another episode of Fascism in Fiction. This week, I am still talking about a depiction of fascism that's actually literally a depiction of fascism. In this case, I am talking about The Sound of Music, one of the most popular and successful musicals of all time, which takes place in pre-war, that is pre-World War II, Austria. The Sound of Music was the highest grossing film of its era, beating out Gone with the Wind. It came out in the mid-60s amidst a decline in the success of musicals. The Sound of Music was probably the last big, 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 crazy successful musical. It won Best Picture, and it won Best Director, as well as several other Oscars. It also won several Golden Globes. What I'm saying is, this is a very popular movie, and myself included. I like musicals, and the Sound of Music, especially the earlier parts of the movie, are just perfect. They're, they're, they're an amazing piece of cinema. The songs are great. It looks beautiful, etc. When it comes to the plot, the story of The Sound of Music is the story of an Austrian nun, a woman named Maria, uh, although, again, all the actors are British. Uh, it's the story of an Austrian nun named Maria who is tasked with reigning in a family of young Austrians, uh, a family of a bunch of kids, uh, and they are living in the house of a former admiral, their father, a former admiral of the Austro-Hungarian Navy. Now, the movie takes place in the interwar era, so they are in Austria not Austria-Hungary. Recall that after World War I, Austria-Hungary split apart and became a whole bunch of other countries, and this meant that Austria lost what very small coastline it had. Now, the Austrian navy was never particularly big, but the Austro-Hungarian Empire was an incredibly large, powerful, cosmopolitan state that had existed in sort of south-central Europe for, you know, centuries, depending on how you count it. The particular guy that she is working for is a captain, a former captain of the Austro-Hungarian Navy, a guy named Von Trapp. Now, Von Trapp's kids have been set upon by their father, who has lost his wife and also lost his military commission because, you know, the war is over and the Navy is gone. And so he sets upon his kids and uses his military discipline for them. And, you know, he, he like messes up their lives and they don't get to be children. Now, this carefree nun, who is a very interesting figure in the movie. I, you know, I think she's one of the more interesting characters in, you know, musicals in general. Uh, she teaches the kids how to play and laugh again, and she provides a safe space for them to do that. Specifically, she enables them to sing, which it turns out the Von Trapps are an incredibly musical family, and she enables this to flourish within the family once again. Meanwhile, the subplots are happening, which is that Von Trapp is engaged to some Austrian socialite lady. At the same time, he is being recruited by the Germans. Now, this is the 1930s, and so the Germans are fascists. The Germans are Nazis. He is being offered a commission in the Kriegsmarine, the German Navy. Unlike the Austrian Navy, which, you know, barely exists at this point, the German Navy is incredibly powerful and very serious and very important to the German war effort. The Germans approach him saying like, hey, we're going to be the leaders of Austria pretty soon. They're correct about this. The Anschluss, which is the annexation of Austria into Germany, is about to happen. They're saying like, hey, we're offering you this commission and that you should come to us willingly. Don't make us force you to serve in the German Navy. Meanwhile, the third subplot is that the oldest kid in the Von Trapp family, a woman, is being courted by a guy named Rolf who starts out the movie as a sort of just like 
messenger boy guy, but eventually joins the Nazis. Specifically, he joins the brown shirts, the Nazi paramilitary organization that was operative in the 1930s. Now, there's some romance subplot and blah, 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 you know, like the, we don't need to get into that. That's not what this podcast is about. Eventually, Maria, that is the nun, and Captain Von Trapp get married. And in order to escape Von Trapp being kidnapped into Nazi military service, they all have to flee the Germans after the annexation of Austria. They have to flee Germany for Switzerland. The final sort of nail in the coffin of the narrative of the film is that Rolf, this, you know, previously just kid that the Von Trapps were totally fine, basically, with courting their daughter, he actually shoots at Captain Von Trapp because Captain Von Trapp continues to try to evade the Nazis who are trying to drum him into military service. The Sound of Music is often presented as an anti-Nazi film, or at least as a sort of like anti-fascist or, you know, fascist skeptical film. There are some pretty good reasons for this. You know, there is a really nice scene in which Captain Von Trapp rips apart a swastika flag, which the Nazi Austrians had draped on his house. The Nazis are clearly the bad guys of the film, and, you know, rightfully so, right? They're Nazis, but they're also narratively the villains. They are the people who are causing all of the terrible things to be happening to our characters. However, the situation is a lot more complicated than it might previously seem. Again, recall that this is happening into the backdrop of the Anschluss, the annexation of Austria by Germany. And remember, as I've talked about previously on this podcast, at this time, Austria wasn't like fight, like the fight wasn't between, oh, whether or not we're going to be anti-fascists or if we're going to be Nazis. No, the two leading parties in Austria at this time are an Austro-fascist party, that is a local nationalist fascist party, and the Austrian Nazi party, which wants the Anschluss. And they're pretty neck and neck, although at this very moment, at the very setting of the film, Austria is in fact ruled by the Austro-fascists. Specifically, it is probably being ruled, the Chancellor of Austria at the setting of the time of the movie is a man named Kurt Schuschnigg, who was the Chancellor of Germany until the Anschluss itself, following the assassination of Engelbert Dollfuss. Now, what this means is that von Trapp is presented as an Austrian nationalist. He opposes the annexation of Austria by Germany, not necessarily because the Germans are fascists, but because they're trying to erase the national character of his homeland. This means that by Occam's razor, the political persuasion that we could probably assume Captain von Trapp, that is the male lead of the film, played by Christopher Plummer really amazingly, we can assume that this male lead is an Austro-fascist. That's probably his political persuasion. We know that he's Catholic, and we know that he is an Austrian nationalist. That is pretty much, you know, that pretty much seals the deal here. What this means is that rather than being a movie about a man who hates fascism, saving his family from it, probably we're talking instead about a man who hates one brand of fascism and prefers a different one and is fleeing that brand of fascism in order to hopefully save his family from it. Another interesting look at this movie and its relationship to fascism and Nazism comes from the prominent Marxist literary critic and philosopher Zizek. Now Zizek argues that the movie depicts the Nazis as the foreign interlopers, disturbing an integral, natural cohesion in an idyllic Austrian countryside setting. The Nazis are depicted as somewhat effeminate, you know, they're all smaller than Captain Von Trapp. They're all, like, demanding things from him when they don't really have the power to do so. 
The Nazis depicted in the film are almost all party people as well, as in they work for the Nazi party, not necessarily for the Nazi state, and none of them work for the Nazi military, at least as far as I can tell, except for the ones like just delivering letters demanding that he joined, that is, that von Trapp joined the Kriegsmarine. This means that narratively, the movie presents the Nazis as this foreign interloper force that is destroying the nation from within, and that Christopher Plummer, playing Captain Von Trapp, represents an, you know, a natural, normal nation, a hale man who has a big family and loves his nation and loves his country and loves God and loves also this nun, Maria. What this means is that narratively, the film, Zizek argues, is a is a right-wing narrative. It is a nationalist narrative about protecting your country from outside interlopers, interlopers who look just like you and want to take your country away from you and unite it into a bigger force. Now, that's a pretty serious accusation about this film, right? Because the claim that Zizek is making is that essentially that this movie has a fascistic logic, even though the bad guys are Nazis, right? And that part of the reason that the movie is able to make that sort of narrative sleight of hand is because most of the people watching it don't know anything about the Angelus. They don't know that the primary opponents of the Angelus were other fascists, namely Austrian nationalists. It's even entirely possible that the people who were writing the movie didn't really know this or, you know, didn't care. I wouldn't be particularly surprised by that, especially because a lot of the people who fought against the Angelus and then, like the Von Trapps fictionally, but in real life, fled fled to either neutral territory or to allied territory. A lot of them did work with the allies, that is, until the allies worked with the Soviets. And, you know, like good fascists, they hated the Soviets enough that they didn't want to work with them. And so, you know, some of these guys actually end up in Argentina, along with all of the other fascist dissidents. So ultimately, the question is, what is the nature of the representation of fascism in The Sound of Music? Now, of all of the things, all the properties that I've talked about so far, I think that this one gets it the closest, right? We have some depictions of fascism as civil society. We have this in the form of the fascists participating in and, you know, continuing a, a normal Austrian nationalist tradition, the music festival that provides the one of the final scenes of the movie where the Von Trapp family sing together and then use that as an opportunity to make their escape from Austria. We have a lot of depiction of party politics, specifically in the form of a character who is a Gauleiter, which is the party leader in the Nazi party of a particular region. So a Gauleiter would be like the person who would be like in charge of the Nazi party for parts of Poland or for a particular region in Germany, or in this case, a particular part of Austria, the part that the Von Trapps live in. We also have a good depiction of the Nazi military. We have a lot of brown shirts, that is paramilitaries. We also see actual regular soldiers as well. This is a pretty representative mix, and it makes it unlike a lot of other films in that it represents the complexities of the Nazi state in this capacity, you know, that they aren't just one monolithic force goose-stepping all over the place, like a lot of films would have you believe. Another sort of feather in its cap in terms of its representation of fascism is the kid, Rolf, the romantic interest of one of the Von Trapp children, right? He starts out the movie as a sort of hapless but likable young kid. You know, we're supposed to kind of like him or at least accept his affections for one of the Von Trapp children. We're supposed to think about him as young and naive. 
And then when he becomes a fascist, it's sort of a shock to the audience. But then you think about it and you're like, well, why would that be a shock? You know, he's a he's a young man. He doesn't really necessarily have anywhere to go. You know, his job is a messenger. And so he's joined this organization that promises bigger things to him. It promises adventure. It promises masculinity. It promises honor and power. And that is precisely what he demands from the Von Trapp family. And it's what he shows his demands to be when he ultimately actually shoots at Captain Von Trapp and his former, you know, lover, like the, this, this, this young woman that he was starting to engage in a romantic relationship with. This is actually a pretty reasonably sympathetic depiction of a Nazi, although ultimately he is a baddie, right? You know, because he, he shoots somebody. However, the Zizek argument and also this argument about the representation of the Anschluss that I raised earlier takes away from some of the interest and utility in the film's depiction of Nazism and fascism. There are parts of the narrative that obscure what viewers could have learned about fascism and the right wing. And also, I think that ultimately, as somebody who studies Nazism, as somebody who studies fascism, as somebody who studies the right wing internationally, I think it's really fascinating that Christopher Plummer playing Captain Von Trapp is usually presented as this sort of like good anti-fascist narrative. You know, he's, he's a family man who hates fascism. But when you think about it historically, right, this man was probably a fascist himself, or at least he knew Austro-fascists and was probably more chill with them than he was with the Nazis. If I had to give this movie a rating in terms of its depiction of fascism, I would say it's a B plus. You know, it's better than most, but it definitely doesn't hit the full mark. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Please also tell your friends, family, and your comrades about the podcast. And I mean that sincerely. That's how people listen to the show. If you are really enjoying the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thank you very much. And I will talk to you Thursday for our weekly fascist news roundup. Thank you.